Yeah, Todd, what is okay. that buzzing? What were you what buzzing? Buzz? It was like a phone no. vibrating on your next to your microphone. No, it's on a wooden table. Hang on a second. Is your phone on vibrate next to your mic stand? <laughs> no. Welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joseph Drowski. And I'm Todd Mack. And this week, we are going to be talking about Coach Boone from Remember the Titans. Todd, how are you doing? I am, well, this is an appropriate time to be talking about this film. Ah, football season. It is a great time of the year for fans. It, I mean, it, really it can quickly turn sour. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> like, right before football season starts is a great time for all fans. Two or three games into the season, some fans are already questioning why they become so invested. Yeah, yeah. I find but, myself maturing uh, over time as a as a fan. Like it doesn't it doesn't bother me nearly. The wins and losses don't don't get me nearly as much as they used to. I want to say I'm the same, but there was a moment in a game last week for my favorite team <laughs> where <laughs> let's just say. I displayed some immaturity of which I'm not proud in reaction to something that did not go our way. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. But then I calmed down and I accepted that it's just a game. Uh, After that, that one moment, that was all just one moment of frustration. (laughs) But you know what? This is the kind of sports film that will make you excited. Even if maybe a season's not going as well as you'd like. Yes. Uh, (laughs) As we said, we were looking at the 2000 film, Remember the Titans, and specifically we're talking about Coach Boone, who was played by Denzel Washington. And uh, I can't believe we haven't talked about a Denzel Washington role yet. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, he was in our, our Much Ado about, about Nothing discussion. Yeah, he was. Uh, You're right. Uh, but but we weren't specifically talking about him. Uh, the film was directed by Boaz Yakim. I think that is how that's pronounced, but I'm not sure. It's Y-A-K-I-M. Apologies if I mispronounce that. Todd, do you remember how you first came to remember the Titans? Well, this is really interesting for me because I, I seem to have some um, false memories associated with this film. Uh, it came out in the year 2000, which is the year you and I graduated from high school, uh, which means it's it would be impossible for me to have memories of watching this in high school. But it seems like I did. But uh, but I but it must have been just right after high school. Yes, and my memory is that we went with a group of high school friends to go see it all together. That that must have been it. But, and maybe that's where your false memory came from, or maybe my memory is false, and we never did that. But <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I think that since the film came out in the year two thousand, it's entirely likely that your memory is uh, better than. <laughs> There's a better chance that yours is true than mine. All but right, uh, I, I have long loved this film. This is one of my favorites. Yeah, it is, it is definitely uh, a very... I mean, this was in a, a period when Disney was kind of on a hot streak of doing these inspirational sports films. They've definitely yeah. left that behind some. But they had this. They had uh, Miracle. That was uh, the other one I was thinking of. Did, did they do... Um, What's the... Uh, the Rookie? The Rookie. Is that With the... Dennis Quaid? Dennis Quaid. Yeah, that was them as well. And it was like each year in the summer they were releasing an inspirational sports movie for a little while. They did uh oh yeah. I mean there's lots of them that we could do. Trying to recapture the cool runnings. 
I was thinking Mighty Ducks myself, but I don't think <laughs> I was, was that Disney. Well, yeah, because there's the Mighty Ducks cartoon that's Disney, isn't it? I am Disney more Mighty Ducks. Disney owned the Mighty Ducks NHL franchise. I will tell you in a second if Mighty Ducks was a Disney. I mean, there's franchise. a lot because Disney did own the Anaheim Ducks NHL franchise, which was a reference, I believe, to the Mighty Ducks. Wow. And uh, producer Andrew is double checking the recesses of the mind. Well, at to, least for the, the first company. one is in fact a Mighty Ducks. Is Disney? Yeah, it, yeah, it is is a okay. Disney film. All right. Okay. Um, I do not know about D two and D three. <laughs> well, maybe at a future date on the Protagonist podcast, we can delve into that in more depth. I'd love uh, to talk about the Mighty Ducks, the first one. Oh, <laughs> that's a great that's film. Good step. Who, what character would you focus on? Goldberg. Goldberg. The ghost. <laughs> no, not Goldberg. <laughs> he does not have a character arc. He's he says without hesitation, Goldberg. <laughs> The, the coach played by Emilio Estevez. Yeah, I think that would that would have to be probably Charlie. Where we'd go. Hans. All right, well, we got to focus. We got to focus on Remember the Titans, guys. We're we're talking about a certain animated or animated film, certain sports movie. Is this one? I didn't check. Is this one available on Netflix or anything? I don't think it is. I had it on my DVD shelf, so I just pulled yeah, it I, think it, on I, I, I think it's very commonly on people's DVD okay. shelves. All right, a quick synopsis of Remember the Titans. If you are unfamiliar, this is the loosely well, let's just say more inspired inspired it, it's loosely based on a true story but it's definitely more loosely than true <laughs> uh story of a high school football team who is overcoming racial tensions uh on the way to a magical season and uh as we said it's the kind of classic inspirational disney sports film underdogs. so yeah underdogs you know overcoming adversity coming together if that Sounds good to you. You should check out any nearby DVD shelf of acquaintances of yours, and it is likely you'll find Remember the Titans there. Uh, but if it's uh, not there, I don't think it's available on streaming services right now, but you could certainly order it through protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon, which is where you should be making all of your Amazon orders. And now, like, tis the season for Amazon orders. I mean, people are starting to gear up for the holidays. We got Halloween and... Uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas around the yeah, corner. Yeah, your, your so. kids' costumes, your own costume for Halloween. Keep an eye on the daily deals. Yes. But always uh, always be doing that through protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon. Again, uh, for listeners, this does nothing to you. It charges you absolutely nothing additional, but Amazon gives us a little bit of a kickback uh, for sending traffic their way. Yep. Hey, you got some trivia for us? I do. Um, as I said... Well, let's get to the, the why this is only loosely or based or inspired on a true story. We'll get to that in a minute. But first, I want to point out when the you great s- cast. When oh. you say that, yeah, it like it kind of makes me nervous because I really do love this film. And I just I hope you don't ruin it for me. Well, Todd, we're, we are talking about Coach Boone from the film Remember the Titans. That's all I want to say. We are talking about Coach Boone from the film Remember the Titans, not yes. any real life things. He could still be okay. a great character, even as we learn some more. Uh, about this. <laughs> All right, go um, for it. Great cast of young actors. We have Kate Bosworth, Ryan Gosling, Daniel Faison, and Hayden Panettiere. Panettiere? Thank you. Panettiere. <laughs> Panettiere? I, I, I don't know. I'm going to go with Panettiere and just trail off <laughs> at the end. Oh, gosh. As, Hayden. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, as the the coach's daughter, uh, not Denzel Washington's daughter, but... Coach uh, Yost. Coach Yost's daughter. Um, she would later go on to star in, uh, Heroes, Heroes. and Nashville. 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 Yeah. 
the film has a 72% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And I had no idea about this. I found this on Wikipedia. There's one part of the film score. It's called Titan's Spirit. It was an original song for this film. But it gets used all the time in other productions. It's like now a go-to score. Um, for example, NBC has used it during closing credits for all their Olympic coverage since Remember the Titans huh. came out. And uh, their NBA games would use Titan Spirit. And it was even used at a Democratic, Democratic National Convention and during one of President Obama's inaugurations. <laughs> the wow. score Titan Spirit was used. So a little bit of just interesting side note that this random film score gets slipped and used score. all the time. All right, so now let's quickly address this loosely based on uh, real events. As we said in our quick summary, like this is about uh, a a school overcoming racial tensions. Uh, It's a newly integrated school, so the black and white players are playing together for the first time. And uh, they're underdogs, but they they go on to have an undefeated season. So, And it's all because of Coach Booth's brilliant coaching that this happens. Andrew, there's an article. What's the title of the article? Remember the Titans is a lie, and this man still wants you to know it. Okay, so there's one article, and that, <laughs> oh, that oh my God. from 2014. <laughs> that article is about uh, essentially a Remember the Titans truther, or particularly a Coach Boone truther, who, after this film came out, Coach Boone, like the real-life Coach Boone, kind of had a new life going on, lecture tours, and being invited speakers to various places as an inspirational figure. Very successful, lucrative yeah. and uh, the, tour circuit. And this former student of his who has a degree in history. A former player. A former player of his who has a degree in history. Mails, he, he is a historian. Yeah. Mails packets to everywhere that the real-life Coach Boone is going to speak, explaining everything that's wrong with Remember the Titans <laughs> in relation <laughs> to actual history. <laughs> and that Coach Boone, according to him, and uh, many other former players is maybe not the inspirational figure we see in the film. Um, so, true fact, the team had an undefeated season. That is true. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Some of the liberties that were taken. Uh, the school and all other schools around them had been integrated for years. <laughs> yeah, so that school was already three years. Uh, or, no, the, those... So that was a consolidation of three already integrated schools. Yeah, to make a what new... What they're illustrating in the film is not integrating schools, it's just combining three schools. Yeah. Which also gave them a huge talent pool for yeah, their college, it, fo- for the high school football yeah, team. Yeah, it, it was the largest school in the area now, and so had the widest talent base to draw from. My favorite thing in the article was talking about the portrayal of Alexandria in 1971 as something more like Birmingham circa 1963. which is a very different (laughs) picture on on the topic of racial relations yeah um a lot of former coach boone players say that uh his coaching style style actually um had little to do with the success of the team and led to more players quitting than succeeding (laughs) um and uh there's a beat in the film where one of the star players gets uh in a car accident and is paralyzed uh, that player that, that there, um, is being portrayed, he did get in an accident and was paralyzed, but it was after the football season was done and after he graduated from high school, even, I think. Uh, huh. <laughs> so they, they, they move and shift a lot of, uh, events, but most of the, uh, most of the, the tension that is at the heart of this film just didn't exist in real life. And it was, it was added solely for narrative tension, uh, for this film. It's really interesting because uh, I got the Blu-ray version of this film, and there's a there's a little like a making of. Well, it's not a making of, but it's a like meet the real Coach Boone, and he's on there and Coach Yost, and yeah. and there are like former players there, and they're all excited, and Denzel Washington is so excited to meet Coach Boone, and 
Well, I mean, as far as like the people in the film, as I'm sure they basically got the script, <laughs> you know, and that's the yeah. story that they're doing. Sure. And Disney has uh, had a monetary vested interest in making this in, you know, seem uh, like a real life feel good story. Sure. This it's was a- not, this was not an underdog team, athletically speaking. Yeah. This the was- statistics, 13 and 0 season. Scoring differential, 357 to 45 points. Nine shutouts that season. They were undoubtedly the best in their area. Yeah. Interesting. Well, let's talk about Remember the Titans, the film. And uh... And look look at the good times. Yeah. Let's leave reality uh, aside for now. We're talking about a very enjoyable film. Today. Yes, uh, and that is a uh, a great character and a great story uh, in the, in this film. Yep. Uh, but before we get to Todd's full summary, uh, that's going to spoil everything for those of you who haven't seen this film. Listeners, I just want to say you have all been wonderful uh, in supporting us, uh, both through Patreon. We have a number of patrons who make it possible for us to keep doing uh, the protagonist podcast, and also our Facebook page has had fantastic response. We started uh, that Facebook fan page and this, this uh, podcast basically begging our friends and family <laughs> to uh, <laughs> like that page. And we had maybe like a couple dozen likes for quite a while, but now uh, we have cleared 500 likes on that page and we feel like a hundred likes or a thousand likes is definitely possible. Um, but uh, all of that leads to great discussion and feedback there, but we need your help in one other area area right now and that is our itunes reviews we currently have 29 itunes reviews and if we can bump that number up we feel like we're going to get recommended uh through podcasting apps uh based on the number of reviews that we have and the feedback that's happening there it makes it more likely that people will randomly discover us instead of just through word of mouth recommendations which is the main way we uh, we get listeners right now and so we'd like to get that number of itunes um reviews or ratings up to triple digits and so we have a stretch goal. Uh, if we can get to 100 iTunes ratings or reviews, uh, we're going to start rele- releasing episodes of a spinoff podcast where we will be going episode by episode through Grand Hotel, which was the subject of our 55th episode. It is the wonderful <laughs> Spanish telenovela. <laughs> uh, that was just, uh, we, we, we know a number of listeners started watching it and gave us feedback that they really enjoyed that. And it's this wonderful mystery that spans multiple seasons. Uh, producer Andrew and I will be heading up that podcast, uh, but we're going to start releasing it as soon as we can reach 100 iTunes ratings or reviews. And for ratings, you don't even have to type anything in. You just go in and click that this is, is it a four-star po- podcast? It's a four-star scale, right? Or is it five stars? Five stars. I think it's a five-star scale. I think it's five on, on iTunes. <laughs> well, you can give us four or five, but we'd appreciate the five then. Uh, it's really easy to go and do an iTunes review. All you need to do is go into your podcasting app or wherever you're finding this, really. Uh, and if you do a search on iTunes or your podcast app uh, and you type in protagonist podcast uh, and enter that, it'll show you album art for our podcasts and other podcasts with similar names. Um, click on the protagonist podcast and there'll be a button there that you can tap to leave a review and you can either write a review talking about how this podcast has changed your life for the better and meaning has been discovered through listening to us. Or you can just <laughs> click five stars and uh, and submit that review. And that is how we'll start to get a few more iTunes ratings and reviews. So we would really appreciate it if you would do this. Uh, like I said, it'll definitely help us to find more listeners. We want you awesome. to hear this podcast. Oh, yeah. We also want to start releasing the spinoff podcast. We've already started recording some episodes of our spinoff podcast. Grand Hotel is delightful. All right, but now, listeners, it is time to dive in to 
Remember the Titans. Todd, will you give us a full summary of this film? I will. Absolutely. It's a beautiful fall morning in a cemetery. And as we watch a f- the funeral procession, uh, the voiceover of a teenage girl tells us that uh, starts talking. She's talking about uh, Alexandria, Virginia. In 1971, she tells us that there had been no racial integration of schools in Virginia until that time. And then we flash back to 1971. Uh, that summer, tensions were running high. We see rioting in the streets. Then we see high school football players. Um, and that teenage voiceover is actually now uh, this little girl. And her father is the coach. And she attends practice with him, and she yells at all the players. A player named Gary comes up to the coach and tells him that the guys are worried about losing their starting positions to the black players who will uh, come in with integration. The coach tells him not to worry. Uh, Ryan Gosling runs onto the field and tells the players that there's a a dust-up at the store. So they all run, and they try to join in the fight. But then the coach, his name is Coach Yost. He loads them up in his truck and he takes them back to the school. And Gary tells him that he doesn't want to play with any of those black animals. So they make it to the office and uh, Denzel Washington is waiting for them there. He introduces himself as Coach Boone, the new assistant coach. Coach Yost, the the little girl, her name is Cheryl. So he's uh, Cheryl's father and he's the current head coach. And he tells him uh, that he didn't hire him. Uh, This was an appointment from the school board. Uh, It's clear that nobody really wants to be in this situation, but Boone assures them he is there to win. Next, we see the Boones move into a middle-class white neighborhood, and all the neighbors are kind of looking through their windows in uh, fear of this black family that's moved in. So now we cut to Coach Yost and a member of the school board telling him that the head coaching job is going to go to Coach Boone. And uh, Cheryl is furious and the school board guy says that all the other coaches are white and the tensions are high and that the city will burn if they don't appease the masses. So that night, Boone tells one of his friends, uh, who is also, I think, on the school board, that he's not going to take the job because he doesn't want to inflict the kind of injustice uh, here that he had inflicted on him in North Carolina. And then he walks out in his front yard and he sees a bunch of uh, black people from the town who cheer him and they're telling him that he is their coach. So then Boone heads over to Yost's house, and Yost tells Boone that he's worried about his white players. Uh, Boone tells him the best player at every position will play. Race doesn't matter. And Yost says, right now, it seems like it's the only thing that does. And then Boone asks him to stay on as an assistant, and Yost tells him, good night. Meaning, no. (laughs) I'm not going to be your assistant coach. (laughs) Uh, The next day, Yost announces uh, to all the players and the parents that he is going to sit the season out, and then he'll take a a head coaching job at another school the following year. And then all the players say that they're going to boycott the season. They're not going to play. And Yost doesn't really know what to do. Uh, now we see it's the first day of practice. All the black kids are there. They're excited to be playing without the white kids. Uh, and then Boone comes in, and he gives this uh, great like a drilled sergeant routine. And he tells them that fall camp is coming up, and he's very strict. This is not a democracy. It is a dictatorship. I am the law. And then uh, Coach Hines, who is Boone's assistant, he starts calling roll. And then all the white kids show up with Coach Yost, and it's kind of intense. There's this like Jets and the Sharks kind of vibe going on. And then Yost and Boone negotiate uh, that Yost will coach the defense and Boone will coach the offense and Yost will be the assistant head coach. So now it's time for fall camp. Uh, Gary tries to use his uh, status as an All-American to force Coach Boone to play only white players on defense and half the offense and special teams. Boone will have nothing to do with it. He tells Gary that this is his team and that he is Gary's daddy. Uh, all the black kids get on a bus, and the white kids get on another one. Then Boone goes and pulls them all off. He separates them into offense and defense and pairs them up, one white kid with one black kid. 
uh, they're going to sit together and room together. There's lots of hostility now at camp between the players. There's a big fight between Garius and uh, Gar- Garius, <laughs> <laughs> Gary and Julius. Uh, Julius Campbell is the best black player on the team. They both play on the defense. Uh, Boone gives them a big pep talk. Uh, he expects perfection. Now we get a big uh, training mo- montage. Lots of training, blocking, hitting, running, throwing up. Uh, lots of coaches yelling. There's a guy named Petey, one of the players. He fumbles the ball. Boone, Boone chews him out and makes him run. And Yost is just kind of watching this whole time. He he thinks that Boone's kind of pushing the pushing things a little too far. At the cafeteria, uh, Lastic, who is this great big uh, white kid who sits with the black kids, he's uh, he's sitting with the black kids. All the other white kids see him as a traitor. Um, Gary's friend tells him that he's just not going to block for the quarterback who is black. And, uh, and then coach Yost tells, uh, he tries to get Boone to accept a a play uh, because he's, he's been a really successful coach and coach Boone has a pretty simple, uh, offensive playbook and Boone tells him, you do the, you do the defense, I'll do the offense. So there's just tension all the way from the top of the ranks, all the way to the bottom. Everybody hates each other. Nobody trusts each other. Uh, so then Boone asks, uh, Lastic, this great big white kid to tell him something about one of his black teammates. And he answers with very detailed information. Uh, and then coach asks for volunteers to share info about their teammates and nobody, nobody does it. So Boone tells them they're going to have to spend uh, time every day meeting their teammates and get to know each other. And until then they have to run uh, three days. So there's some funny stuff with players getting to know each other. And on the field, the players are at, at kind of at the end of their rope. Boone is pushing them really, really hard. He won't even give them water. And then Yost calls him on it, and then there's more fighting. And then Gary calls out Julius for not doing his job, and Julius tells Gary that white boys aren't blocking, and uh, he's just going to watch out for himself. And then Gary tells him, man, that's the worst attitude I ever heard. And Julius replies, attitude reflects leadership, Captain. Okay, so the next morning, Coach Boone wakes everybody up at 3 a.m. in the morning, and he takes them on a run through the woods, and they end up at Gettysburg. And then Boone gives this speech. This is where they fought the Battle of Gettysburg. 50,000 men died right here on this field, fighting the same fight that we are still fighting among ourselves today. This green field right here, painted red, bubbling with the bloody young boys. Smoke and hot lead pouring right through their bodies. Listen to their souls, men. I killed my brother with malice in my heart. Hatred destroyed my family. You listen, you take a lesson from the dead. If we don't come together right now on this hallowed ground, we too will be destroyed, just like they were. I don't care if you like each other or not, but you will respect each other, and maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll learn to play this game like men. Todd, I, I think I gotta say that your your Jack Burton impression was maybe a little stronger than your Denzel impression. I know. I'm not it's but not a great Jack, Denzel Washington. Like, but I close my close my eyes and think you were Jack Burton from Big Trouble Little China. Well <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm not the I, I I had to give it a shot. Yeah. So that night Gary finally shows some leadership by taking one of the white players to task, his friend Ray. Uh, and then the players start playing together. So at practice a new kid shows up, his name is Ronnie Bass. He's white, he's from California, and he has long hair. Uh, Gary calls him a fruitcake. Um, it turns out that uh, Ronnie is a quarterback. He's a really good one. Uh, and we get some locker room talk with a bunch of yo mama jokes, and everybody's getting along with each other. And then uh, Ronnie kisses Gary, and then they kind of get in a fight. 
and then everybody laughs except for Gary's old white uh, his, his his friend uh, Ray, who's this. Uh, the kid that's kind of been with him forever, but he's kind of a jerk and he won't block for anybody. Uh, and at lunch, then Ray goes to sit down with Gary, but Gary tells him this is the defense's table. He has to go sit with the offense. Ray's really mad. Camp ends. Everybody's really coming together. Uh, there's lots of singing. Uh, then <laughs> they get back home, uh, but their parents are all still segregated and the, the town is really, there's still a lot of tension in the town. And it's pretty clear that the challenge is just kind of beginning for them. First day of school, there's a bunch of people picketing outside the school, lots of tension. Uh, Gary's girlfriend won't even shake Julius's hand. Um, and J- Gary and Julius are now like best friends. Uh, so that night, Boone's friend tells him that the school board didn't even expect Boone to make it out of camp and that they will fire him if he loses a single game. So now it's uh, time for game one. Boone throws up before the game because he's really nervous. Uh, the fans are all sitting with their own people. So all the black people on one side, all the white people on the other side. And then Boone gives a pretty good pep talk. And then uh, he says, he says, tonight we've got Hayfield. Like all the other schools in this conference, they're all white. They don't have to worry about race. We do. Let me tell you something. You don't let anyone come between us. Nothing tears us apart. In Greek mythology, the Titans were greater even than the gods. They ruled their universe with absolute power. Well, that football field out there, that's our universe. Let's rule it like Titans. So then the game starts, and the Titans are getting creamed, and Petey, the kid who fumbled, he misses a block, and Boone just reams him. But then uh, Coach Yost talks to Petey, and he invites him uh, to play on the defense. And Boone suspects that Yost might be uh, playing to lose. And Petey makes a big stop, and then that's uh, pretty much when I start crying. And, uh, and the Titans are on the move. We get some sweet 70s tune, lots of big hits. It's awesome. Uh, after the game, the boys are all hanging out. Gary's girlfriend tells him his priorities are all mixed up because he hangs out with black kids. Uh, Ronnie Bass, the, the new kid from California, they call him Sunshine. Uh, he invites a couple of the black kids into a restaurant, and they get kicked out. And Petey's mad at Ronnie for not understanding the race stuff. Uh, Boone and Yost have a fight because Yost is being uh, kinder to the black kids than he is to the white kids. And Boone tells him he isn't doing the kids any favors by coddling them. He's crippling them for life. So then Gary argues with his mom because she won't let him play basketball or hang out with Julius. And then the next game, everybody's down, and the the Titans win, but it's pretty ugly, and there's still a lot of um, tension on the team. More fights in the school. Uh, Gary and Julius break it up. And then uh, Coach Yost has dinner with one of his uh, assistant coaches that's a white guy. And he isn't happy with Yost being friendly with Boone. And he tells Yost he won't work for Boone anymore. And uh, Yost tells him, you can go ahead and leave if you want. Uh, So he does. And then meanwhile, at the Boone house, uh, where Cheryl is supposed to be playing with Nikki, uh, who is Boone's daughter. um, But she's really just breaking down film with the coach. (laughs) And then somebody throws a brick through the window of the house. And at the same time, uh, Gary and Julius call a meeting. They tell the guys they have got to come together. Then they start singing again. There's lots of dancing and cheering and yelling and singing in this song. For, for a song that's not technically a musical, there's an awful lot of singing. An awful lot of dancing. I'm just saying. Uh, so then Yost tells Boone that he needs to stop antagonizing people but it, because it put his little girl at risk. And Boone tells him he won't back down to anyone and welcome to his world. Uh, then the players tell the coaches that they have a special pre-game warm-up, a warm-up routine prepared. And it turns out that it is, yes, more dancing and more singing. Uh, on the first play, Gary's mean friend, uh, Ray, he doesn't block. And Rev, the quarterback, gets hurt. So then Ronnie Bass, the sunshine uh, kid from California, has to come in. 
but he's worried because he's uh, struggled uh, making a pitch on the option play. Uh, but Boone gives him inspiring speech, which is not true, which I guess is sort of a metaphor or something for the film itself, um, which I hadn't actually thought about until now. But <laughs> he says, he says uh, when he was 15, my parents, what does he say? Both my parents died in the same month, the same month, Ronnie. And he says, my, you know, I was the youngest, but all my brothers and sisters looked up to me and I had to do that because I had 12 brothers and sisters. And then Ronnie gets all pumped up and he goes out on the field and makes this great play. And then uh, Boone's assistant says, I thought you had 12 brothers and sisters. And he said, no, I had eight. And he says, yeah, well, 12 sounded better. So, I mean, I guess it's, <laughs> it's, it's like, there's some truth in there, but it was exaggerated for effect. <laughs> like you said, yes. it fits for this. Which is film. exactly what this film is. So after the game, uh, Gary tells coach Boone that he wants Ray off the team because it was Ray's fault that Rev got hurt. Cause he wasn't blocking. Uh, and then Boone tells him he's the captain. It's his call. So then Gary goes and tells Ray he's off the team. Julius goes to visit Gary at his house. He's really nervous in his neighborhood, but it's all it's all good times. Uh, everybody's happy. More montage. The Titans are winning. Lots of great 70s music again. Um, it's the night of the Hall of Fame dinner now. Uh, Coach Yost is a candidate to be in the Hall of Fame, but then the guy in charge tells him that the, that the, the Titans are going to lose their next game. Boone will be fired, and Yost will be the new head coach, and that's how he's going to get into the Hall of Fame. So they've rigged the next game. Uh, the coach of the next team they're going to play is a total racist, and on the news he calls Boone a monkey uh, or an ape or something. Uh, and then it's the regional championship. The officials are totally cheating, and they're killing Titans. And Boone is trying to respectfully talk to the refs, but they won't have any of it. So Yost is watching all this, and uh, and then Boone gets pretty mad. And then there's another terrible penalty call. And then Yost looks up and he sees his daughter in the stands and uh, he kind of has this moment where he just – he knows he has to do the right thing. So he walks out on the field. He talks to the ref. He tells him, if you don't call this game fair, I'm going to tell him the papers what happened. And if I have to go down, I'll go down with you. But you're going to call this game fair. And the ref tells him, you can dig your own grave. And then Yost calls a defense in him and he tells him, all right now, I don't want them to gain another yard. You blitz all night. If they cross the line of scrimmage, I'm going to take every last one of you out. You make sure they remember forever the night they played the Titans. And then it's big hit after big hit, big play after big play. Uh, this is this game. This uh, this film came out before the targeting rule. Um, but <laughs> if, if it if it hadn't, all of these players would be ejected for targeting. <laughs> every single one. There would be no defensive player left. There would be no defensive players left in, in on the game because uh, they are all just targeting the whole game. Uh, so the Titans totally run up the score. Um, the bad guy from the Hall of Fame dinner tells Yost that he lost out on the Hall of Fame. Uh, coach Boone gives this uh, the bad racist opposing coach a banana. After the game celebration, uh, it's it's the after game celebration. And Gary invites Julius to go paint the town. But Julius tells him he's going to hang out with his girlfriend. Gary's girlfriend tells him she wants to try to be better. So everybody's cheering the Boons. All the white people and the black people are all, are all happy. And then Gary cruises through the town in his Camaro. And everybody's cheering him. And then this huge truck slams into Gary's car. He's paralyzed from the waist down. Julius goes to see him. The nurse tells him only Ken is allowed. And Gary tells her, Alice, are you blind? Don't you see the family resemblance? That's my brother. And then Gary tells Julius, I was afraid of you, Julius. I only saw what I was afraid of, and now I know I was only hating my brother. And then Yost and Boone talk, and Boone is all about being strong, and Yost is hurting because of Gary's loss. And he asks Boone if this is even about football anymore. Boone talks to his wife, and he asks her if he was too ambitious. She tells him whatever kind of ambition it, take, it took to do what he did around there, the world could use a lot more of it. 
I'm back at the hospital. The team is there visiting Gary, and Yost tells him he wants to have some reflection and prayer. And Gary tells him, I'm hurt. I ain't dead. And he wants to talk football. And he has read up uh, that there are Olympics for people in wheelchairs. So he's kind of excited about that. And now it's time for the state championship game. Uh, Gary's mom walks into the stands. Everyone cheers. She sits with Mrs. Boone. They embrace. Gary's girlfriend goes up to Julius and shakes his hand. The opposing team, uh, Marshall, is running shotgun formation. The Titans have never seen it before. The defense is just totally getting killed. Um, the offense is struggling. Yost and Boone are frustrated with each other again. The Titans are down 7 to nothing at halftime, which is kind of, kind of interesting because it looks like they're getting killed, but 7 nothing at halftime is really, like, <laughs> it's not like an insurmountable lead. Uh, and then Boone tells them that they need to keep their heads high uh, win or lose, and then Julius tells him uh, they want to be perfect as a team. That's how they have been all season, and that's how they want to leave the field. So then Yost tells Boone that he could use some help with the defense. They make some changes. Creedence Clearwater Revival starts playing, and the Titans <laughs> uh, start playing really well. And then they score field goals, a uh, field goal, and so they're, then they're down 7-3. to three. There's just a minute and a half left. Marshall has the ball. Julius strips it. Petey picks it up, and he holds on to the ball, which is a miracle because Petey was the one that was always fumbling it um, but they recover the ball then Yost tells him they need to throw something at Marshall they haven't seen so this goes all the way back to when they were at camp and coach Yost was trying to get coach Boone to look at some you know some like offensive trick plays and coach Boone wouldn't have anything to do with it well now he has to trust coach Yost uh, so Yost uh, tells him let's let's try a trick play uh, they call in the injured quarterback Rev who is uh, getting better now um, and it's the last play. The Titans have to go 75 yards. They run a reverse, and Rev runs it all 75 yards for the touchdown with, I have to say, some amazing blocking by Sunshine. <laughs> Everyone cheer. He, he pancakes like he pancakes like all 11 guys on the opposing team. Uh, he's, he, it's, it's pretty great. And then Boone and the Marshall co- head coach shake hands. Yost tells Boone he was the right man for the job, and boast, Boone tells Yost that he's a Hall of Famer in his book. And then we get back to older Cheryl's voiceover uh, back at the cemetery. The Titans were runners-up for the national championship that year. Gary threw the shot put in the Paralympics, but he died 10 years later in a car accident, and that was what brought the team back together again at the funeral. And she says, before we reach for hate, always, always we remember the Titans. (sighs) That's the end of my summary. Great summary, Todd. Um, One thing I like about this film is, and, you know, this is the kind of thing you can do when you're – manipulating true events, but it has a really strong three act structure. Uh-huh. Uh, the team overcoming their personal differences and, you know, uniting at camp and then they go to the city and the city is still divided and you get this new tension of that. And they, they they unite the whole city through that. And then you get the final act of, um, you know, overcoming the, the final more personal tragedy of, uh, Gary, yeah. um, being, being paralyzed, but it gives you a, a really good structure to follow. And, um, them overcoming these odds that they're facing. And you see it really starkly, I think, in some of the scenes, like when they've been at camp and they've had the experience of overcoming everything. And when they pull up to the town again (laughs) and they see like all all the black families on one side and all the white families on the other side. uh, And all the players are like, what's going on? (laughs) It's like nothing, uh, nothing has changed. Yeah. They they bonded completely and over overcame, you know, their, their personal prejudices, but it, it had not yet gone beyond them. Uh, to the city at all um in some ways it's interesting also it's interesting also to me how like they do all this bonding but once they get put back in that situation they really slide like everybody hates each other again (laughs) you know it's like the the thing that they were able to achieve in that really controlled environment at camp it kind of falls apart 
in that in that other in that other context and they have to figure out how to put things back together again it's interesting how the context and the environment changes what what had looked like you know a permanent change inside of the players yeah um it's like they uh you know the the individuals were um either raising the, you know their their quality uh, or lowering it based on the surroundings and when everyone at camp raised you know it was overcoming prejudice uh was treating each other as equals everyone except for uh the the one player what's his name ray yeah ray <laughs> that the, everyone except for ray um rises to that but when they go to the city and now uh everyone who had risen is now surrounded by this lower status quo they all kind of sink back down to the status quo until they're able to pull everyone the whole community up back again yeah. to that level we we had this really great conversation the other day in one of my classes about how the, just the way that being in a group of people changes can can really change the dynamic like not all of the pieces let's see how can i say this so we were we were pull i was doing this like kind of unofficial straw polls with my students of um you know like what what's important to you versus what do you think is important to society and and they were just at uh, really at odds with each other like <laughs> the students were like well i'm interested in you know being a good person and being kind and honest and uh, you know, my family is important, but society, society is interested in money and power and, you know, beauty and, and sex and stuff. <laughs> it was like, you do realize that society is made up of a whole bunch of people who probably if you ask them individually, they would all say, I'm interested in goodness and fairness and, uh, you know, courage and honesty and, and kindness. But for some reason, when we, when we all get together, it's like, that goes out the window. Like the, it's not the, the whole is not the equal of the sum of its parts, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. Um, so there's this essay by Aldous Huxley who wrote a brave new world and that was written in the thirties. And then in, I think it's 1958, he wrote an essay called brave new world revisited and uh, it's divided into a bunch of sections, but one section is called propaganda under a dictatorship. And in it, he talks about, um, uh, Nazi Germany, uh, and he talks about something that he called herd poisoning, uh, uh -huh. which is essentially like the, the loss of individuality and you go along with the masses that are around you, whereas, and they may be like doing things or, or taking actions that each individual would be against, but as a mass, uh, all the, like you're saying, all the, all these individuals suddenly become part of this group doing something that individually they, they might find problematic, uh, if not repulsive, you know, he called the term uh, herd poisoning and he, and he talked about how um, like Hitler's speeches to masses are really strong rhetoric because uh, it gets the pathos, you know, the emotion of the masses going, but like his writings, uh, he called them almost incomprehensible because <laughs> there's not good logic. There's not good logos to them, uh, but writing yeah. requires good logos where uh, like individually a reader can decipher and take apart and accept or reject the arguments. Um, right. But in public speaking to a group, if you can get people emotionally invested in something, uh, you know, the mass will go along with that and people will feel, uh, you, you can take a, we've all been in that, you know, in a mass, uh, you know, be it at uh, a concert or a sporting event or, um, political rallies of any kind where like your individuality starts to get subsumed by the emotions that are all around you within the mass. Are you talking about your experience watching a, a certain football game last weekend? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, that, that was me individually. <laughs> that was in my home. <laughs> it's really interesting that you bring up that essay because we just we just read um, a very short and I think really interesting book by Carl Jung called um, The Undiscovered Self. And he talks about that exact thing. And he says the problem with uh, modern society is that we don't understand ourselves and that we as individuals don't take the time to really like dive into ourselves and figure out who we are and what we really want and what's really important to us. And because of that, we're isolated and that it's really dangerous to have a society full of people who don't know really who they are or don't have a clear vision of what's important to them because any dictator can come along and, uh, and take advantage of that, like that emptiness and fill it up with kind of whatever they want. And he says, um, he, he has this great quote where he says, like, a hundred zeros still equals zero. <laughs> like, is lo- <laughs> even, even if you have a whole huge group of people, if none of those people have any, uh, like, moral, oh, what's the word? Substance? Like if, they don't that- have a, if they don't have a strong moral compass that's based on, you know, re- self-reflection, and then those people can be turned into a mob like at the drop of a hat by somebody who is able to pull on their emotions in the right ways, which I think is, is a a lot what uh, Huxley is saying. And I think it's kind of what we see here that just this, this mob mentality is it's really hard to get over. And sometimes you have to get over it not once, but again and again and again. And, and we see this in each of these acts, we see people struggling to, to figure out what who they are and what's really important to them. Let's talk a little bit about Coach Boone, uh, played very well by Denzel Washington. <laughs> I have to say, yeah, uh, where if not all, accurately, yes, very well, if not accurately to to real life, but to the story that's being told in this, I think he does a great job. Uh, and I I think we've mentioned this several times uh, that characters can be. Um, kind of contradictory or have like positive or negative attributes and you can still love them as great characters. And I think coach Boone is a good example of that. Yes. Where, um, like his unyieldingness can in some settings be a positive, but in other settings it can be a bit problematic, um, for, for his role as a leader. Um, and I think there's probably some other character attributes that you see in one scene are being shown to be a real positive for him, uh, like a stubbornness, but in some other scenes where you might need, need to be saying, maybe let it, you know, tone it down, let it go a little. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that's true to human nature. I don't think that makes him an unrealistic character. I think that makes him a more realistic character. I, to- I totally agree. <laughs> we, we just finished reading the Odyssey in one of my classes. And the final question that I have in the, uh, uh, that I have them answer online is, um, basically like, what do you think of Odysseus and, and Penelope, like their relationship? And do you, do you think they're a great, like, this is a great love story? Cause some people think that it is. And some people think that it's not. And the <laughs> class was split, like exactly halfway down the line. And half of the students were saying, yes, or no, they were saying, no, this is a horrible love story because he's a cheater. Like he was not faithful to his wife. And, and that's unforgivable. And then the other half of the students were saying, like, yes, he was unfaithful to his wife, but that's what makes him like real, you know? Uh, like he, he struggled and he went through a lot of things, but in the end he like came out 
and and found her and that's what makes him a really great character and i think that's uh that's the side that i tend to fall on is that uh for me great characters are not necessarily the ones that never make any mistakes but the ones who uh kind of struggle through them and are somehow able to you know make make something of themselves not because they're perfect but um and not even sometimes in spite of their weaknesses but sometimes even because of them like it's i think coach boone is complicated and and that's what makes him great all right so what are some of the positive attributes that we have for coach boone um i think he's what's the word that i want here i mean, I think he's brave like, i mean in this situation he has to, he has to act with bravery like even that first scene when all the coaches walk into the office and he's he's there and they're like well we we already got a coach and and coach yost <laughs> has been a great coach he's won a million titles and and coach boone is just like calm collected <laughs> and not intimidated by this situation and he just says well i'm a winner and i'm here and what a great opportunity to learn from the best and i love that like his his kind of cool demeanor in the face of uh that adversity i think is one of his most admirable traits and one one thing i like about that because i i agree he like portrays this calmness but we get a couple moments uh, one in particular i can think of where we see that he really does have all the emotions like roiling inside of him and it's what he throws up before the game yes uh like you know he is nervous he's not going to show his team that <laughs> like he mentions i can't remember who it is that sees him he says i throw up before every single football game <laughs> like it, yeah. it's not that he's not feeling all of the emotions that you would expect someone in that situation to be feeling. It's that he's choosing, uh, you know, to present something else, uh, both to the other coaches and to the, to the players that are there. Yeah. Um, and we get, there's, there's, a, there's a part where they talk about that. Um, he, when he's with his friend that's on the school board and he says, you know, you work, you walk with Dr. King and you stood toe to toe with the, with the clan. Like he's been through a lot. Boone. And, um, it's not like any of this is really new to him, which I think is, uh, is interesting. It's not, he's not like a young guy being thrown into, into this new experience. He's kind of a veteran at this point. Like he's been through pretty much all of this already. Um, and I think that that experience is kind of a steadying influence for him. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say another favorite moment of mine for coach Boone that shows something that's going on underneath. Cause he has this very almost too stern, uh, facade yeah. or, 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 um, attitude that he puts on with his players. But when, uh, what's the name of the, the big white player, the biggest one, Lastic. Louis, 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 Lastic. Louis. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. When Louis says, uh, like coach Boone asks him what his goals are. He says, oh, I'm, I'm, I can't go to college. I don't, I don't have the grades for those. And, Boone like takes him aside. He's like, this is just between you and me, but you, if you don't go to college, it's not going to be because you don't have the grades to get in. You're going to come talk to me about every test that you take. Uh, and it shows what it's like. It's a moment that gives you the action that he kind of says, uh, well, I, I don't know. I mean, he says to a uh, coach Yos later on when, with PD, like if you coddle the boys, you're not helping them. You're, uh, you're crippling them for life. Right. 
Yeah. But this is an example where he kind of is, <laughs> I don't know, he's, he's, he's not complicated because he's not saying you just be you and that's fine. He's saying, no, you're going to work hard to, right. to be better. And I'm going to help you to work hard to be better. Uh, it's just, we get a more personal tone, uh, about that non football field aspect of it, but on the football right. field, he's all, he's all serious. We, we, we rarely see that kind of, um, personal touch. Yeah. <laughs> I I really like Denzel Washington's performance in this because because he I think that he could easily go overboard on the on like the drill sergeant routine and and he could easily become like totally unlikable but but somehow he's not even though he really is a jerk and he he certainly pushes it, you know, too far and when uh when they're at practice and Blue says I want some water and he's like almost crying and, <laughs> And Coach Boone is like, like, you want water? You want water? And he's always talking about how he's going to, you know, put his put his foot in their hind pots and stuff like that. I mean, he's just so angry and so strict. And Coach Yost is really uncomfortable about some of the stuff that's going on. And, like, he should be because Boone goes too far, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like you said. But at uh, the same time, there are those moments of – of like tenderness with his wife or with Lastic or even just, you know, like a, like a, a smile or a, um, like a, a look out of the corner of his eye. And he, Denzel Washington is just a master at, at adding a, an extra level of humanity to this guy and really redeems him as a character, I think, because without it, he would just be a total jerk. And I, nobody would like him. You made a joke earlier about how this film was obviously made before the current targeting rules that prohibit, yes, uh, <laughs> you know, hitting hitting towards the heads uh, on the football field because every defensive player would be ejected for targeting. Um, this is, film is also both set and made before some of the concerns that have been raised about some practice uh, methodologies. <laughs> uh, yeah, everything that we see coach uh boone doing where he's like denying the water everything that would be a lawsuit today <laughs> oh yeah absolutely um, and, and rightfully so <laughs> like uh there there are players who uh pass out from heat stroke and, and worse uh at, at football camps uh and anything that along the lines of what we saw here would would be highly questioned today but oh, yeah uh, uh back in this in the 70s with the set I mean, things were a little more hardcore i suppose but I, I think one of the things that makes this film stand out to me and makes Coach Boone maybe different as a coach uh, from other from other coaches that we've seen. Like we talked about Hoosiers, and we talked about uh, Coach Dale, and how he's really hard and mean on his players. I think one of the things that makes Coach Boone different is that he has Yost, and Yost is. I, I think I, when I watched this as a younger man, I didn't realize what a key role Yost plays in this whole thing. But he really acts as kind of as Boone's conscience. Then there are many times where he, you know, pulls him aside and says, you know, you've you've gone too far, uh, you've crossed the line, and and it's not how oh, it's it's not like Boone ever comes out and says, you know what, you're right, I'm wrong. But even uh, like in that um, when they're at camp and he's making the players do up downs forever until Blue is no longer thirsty. <laughs> so he says, "You're going to do up downs until Blue is no longer thirsty," and they're doing up downs and up downs. And Yost comes over and he says, "You know, Coach, this has gone too far. 
uh, and Boone kind of looks at him and then he blows his whistle and lets the guys go get some water. And he, you know, it's not this like, oh, okay, let's hug it out. <laughs> you know, like, you're right. I'm wrong. I'm really sorry. Let's, you know, let's have a moment together. But, but it, but Boone needs Yost. He needs somebody to come over and say, you know what? It's time to be done. And to Boone's credit, he, he listens to it. And I think that's another thing that, that kind of redeems him from some of his, uh, less desirable qualities. Yeah. Another thing that I like about this film, uh, is that it resists what I think is the temptation that some films or stories in general fall into when they're trying to do a story about prejudice and overcoming, uh, you know, this distrust of the other. And, and some stories fall into the tendency to make everyone the same and say, no, we're not different. We're all the same. Don't you see that? Uh-huh. And this film says, no, everyone's different, but it's awesome that everyone's different. <laughs> right. And there's no re- like, we don't need to be scared of those differences. And I think you can see that most distinctly in the two daughters, uh, Yos and Boone's daughters. Yes. Where these are two little girls that are about the same age, but Coach, Coach Boone's daughter is kind of the classic, uh, little girl who paints her nails and is very concerned about her nails <laughs> looking right and plays with dolls. And, uh, Coach Yos' daughter. It's called accessorizing. Ate- I'm not playing with <laughs> yes. dolls. I'm accessorizing. <laughs> uh, Coach Yost's daughter is uh, like a tomboy that's all into football, um, but we also see it some in the kind of the montage of the football players getting to know each other. You know, not all the black players are the same, and not all the white players are the same. Everyone's just different, but we shouldn't care <laughs> about making you know this value judgment about worth within the differences. Yeah. And I, I like that the film manages to, um, you know, preach equality, but not because of sameness. But just because, you know, everyone's worth is is equal. What do you make of the choice of the filmmakers to use uh, Cheryl's voice as the like the voiceover? And I mean, what? Yeah, what do you make of that? So it's only really well. We see her at the beginning, like the the prologue and the coda, right? Or are when we well, see, we see Cheryl. We see, we see old Cheryl as in the prologue and in the coda, and then we see young Cheryl kind of throughout. And it just it just seems like an interesting choice to have the person tell us the story that was the nine year old girl, you know, during the film. Like they they could have chosen anybody. They could have chosen Julius. They could have chosen Coach Boone. They could have chosen Gary. Yost or Gary or um or Petey or. Lastic, or I mean, any of these guys. They could have chosen Ryan, not Reynolds, but uh, Gosling. Uh, but they didn't. They chose. They chose Cheryl, and it, it, there has to be, you know, thought behind that because it's not the obvious choice. So I why think part it? of it is is marketing, <laughs> where if you have a football player be the voice of it, this remains a football movie. Um, uh, well, and I guess there's also thematically, this is, uh, having it be someone who was, I mean, yeah, she's the coach's daughter and she's obsessed with the plays and she reads the field like a coach does, but she's not one of the football, either coaching staff or team. And so do you, you really, thematically you really think may- that more young girls watch this film because that little girl was in it? No, I do not, but I absolutely believe that someone who's trying to keep their job about market research would have said, (laughs) (laughs) if you give this to another voice besides a football player, we might get another quadrant uh, of reach. 
but I think it also, not just like marketing wise, but thematically wise, this is they're they're using football to tell a story that's bigger than football. So by having the voice be someone who's not a football player, you you maybe are helping that along. That's interesting. And, and I, think, also, I liked I what think, you said earlier about her and and Boone's daughter, and like how their their relationship is. It, uh, I think it's important to the bigger message of this of this film. I, I didn't quite catch the question you were forming there at the end. Just, um, I, I was just saying that I like that that point that you made earlier about the relationship between um, between Cheryl and Nikki, the two the two little girls, and I think that 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 there is something in that relationship that's kind of fundamental to the film. Uh, in this, that it goes beyond, uh, it goes beyond football. Um, so anyway, I, I, I mean, they got a great little actress, you know, to, to play that role of Cheryl. Um, and, but it's, and every time I watch this film, I just, I'm struck by that choice to do that. And I like it. Like, I, I think that makes a better film, but it, but it certainly wasn't the obvious choice. And who knows if that if if it was even real, you know? Like, does Cheryl Yost even <laughs> exist as a person? <laughs> um, I, I I did not come across any discussion of that <laughs> in in the truth ring of Remember the Titans. Yeah, I mean, while we're while we're talking about complicated characters, I think Yost. It's interesting that Yost is the voice of reason for Coach Boone. When the reason that he's a single man is because his wife left him because he was obsessed with football, you know, like he lost his family because of an obsession with football and it makes, I think it makes, uh, his lecturing coach Boone about, you know, is this even about football anymore? Or, um, you know, telling him you need to dial it down. Uh, I think it makes it a little bit more meaningful when you know that that's coming from a guy who has, who lost, you know, like his family fell apart because he didn't know when to stop. And now he's, now he's become the voice of reason telling another coach, you need to stop. <laughs> I think it's also, um, it shows some of his, I mean, the scene is played for last, but it does show some of the maturity that maybe he's gained through this experience when he goes into Gary's hospital room and says, maybe we don't need to talk about football guys. <laughs> and I mean, it gets played for laugh because Gary says, you know, I'm not, I'm not dead. <laughs> I still love football, yeah. which I think there's an important message in that. Like your, your love of other things can be helpful when you're struggling with hard, real, you know, things at the core of your life. Uh, you know, you finding solace through entertainment or through sport or through music or, you know, whatever it may be. I, I think there's validity in that, uh, that happens in that scene. But I think it does say something about coach Yost's evolution as a character. When, you know, we find out his backstory, like you said, is that his, his family fell apart because of his love of football. He's, he's maybe realizing football isn't everything. Uh, and Gary's kind of like, I know it's not everything, but it's something that I care about right now. <laughs> there's a, there's in the deleted scenes. Um, there's actually a scene with, uh, Yost and his ex-wife. It's kind of interesting. And I, I think it was a direction that they could have gone to develop, develop that angle more. Um, and you know, in, in the end it ends up on the, on the editing room floor, but, but I think it's something that, um, when you remember it, 
it adds a dimension to Coach Yost uh, that I think is important and lets you know, yeah, like you said, like his evolution, his maturity as a as a character, and 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 maybe the the ultimate sign of that is in that the game where the the game that's been rigged so that he can get into the Hall of Fame and him looking up at his daughter and seeing her in the stands and knowing that as much as she cares about this, it's more important for him that she know that that he's a good man than it is that he made it in the Hall of Fame and that's why he decides to go and talk to the ref and let him know, you know, I know what's going on, I'm gonna take this to the papers if you don't start calling this game clean. You know, like that's another sign of his maturity because it seems like the kind of man who would who would be so completely consumed by football and winning that he would let his wife walk away uh, is not the same man that would, um, you know, give up the Hall of Fame so that he can be a good example to his daughter. And it's it's cool to see. I mean, it's just it's a it's a. I think it's kind of subtle storytelling, but I think it it's uh, effective. All right, one last thing I wanted to try and touch on before we wrap up, and that is Go sunshine, <laughs> uh, and the locker room scene, which I remember like people, I, multiple discussions I've had of like what what are they like what is the storytelling trying to do when uh, so Gary kind of makes fun of sunshine calling him gay, uh, and sunshine retaliates by kissing Gary, <laughs> which causes this weird fight in the locker room, and then everyone just kind of moves on from it. Uh, and what are we supposed to make of that moment? I think what the filmmakers are saying in this story that's about prejudice and othering um, is that Sunshine, and, and it's, it's left kind of vague, <laughs> or, or deliberately uh, unclear, whether Sunshine was just trying to get under Gary's skin with this, or whether he really was gay, or, or whatever the case may be. But Sunshine is making the choice to say, if you're picking on me because you think I'm gay it means that you're more uncomfortable with this than I am. Like, you're uncomfortable with this thing about me, and so I'm going to make you even more uncomfortable with that. <laughs> like, I'm going to reverse the bullying that you're trying to employ because your bullying is actually revealing something about your discomforts. Uh, and, and so by pushing back against it, I'm going to make you stop, <laughs> in essence. I don't know that's going to be a true lesson that holds in everyday life for anyone who experiences bullying, but I think uh, that seems to be what the filmmakers are, are getting at or trying to show in that in that sequence is that often the the othering that we do against others, it's not because they're really inferior. It's because of our own discomfort with it. And it's just right. an interesting response that we get from sunshine. Yeah, I think it is too. I, it was for sure. The first time I saw this film, it was the thing that was like, when the world just happened, <laughs> it feels so out of place in this film. Um, but, but when you look at it, you know, as you've just pointed out as a film about, about other, about fear of the other, um, and this is, I think even at, at this time in the seventies, I mean, uh, to talk about, you know, sexuality in that way in the seventies is probably when this film came out in 2000, it was as a society, we were probably closer to 1971 than we were to 2016, uh, as far as our views of, um, you know, gender and sexuality as a society. Does that, that make sense? What I've just said, <laughs> I don't know if I stated that very clearly, but yeah, no, um, I, I followed. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so 
I mean, I remember, you know, kind of trying to grapple with that even as a, you know, 17 year old kid and being like, what, what just happened? That was really, that was really strange. But the thing that I, the, the, the thing that I love about it is when, um, when they're sitting at lunch after that and Petey's talking to Sunshine and he says, Hey, uh, you know, I don't really care, but that whole thing with Gary was that, you know, are you, and he's just so uncomfortable and Sunshine's like, uh, if it doesn't matter, then why does it matter? You know, and Petey's like, well, it doesn't really matter, but I gotta know, you know, and, and it just shows that, that discomfort that I think all or, or many viewers, especially in 2000, uh, ha- felt when we saw that scene, which was like, was that real? Was it not real? Whereas, I remember, yeah. I remember that. Producer Andrew jumping in here. I remember that scene is cut from some televised editions of it in the early 2000s. But that, yeah. uh, that it's, the, the sequence isn't entirely removed, but that shot is. Yeah. Because, like, that's on, like, the Disney channels, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. airing of it on, on television. And so, yeah, there's definitely a certain amount of discomfort that was still very prevalent in the early 2000s um, with that sequence where they couldn't even, you know, like, in, in their own company film, <laughs> they can't air it the way they created it. You know, because there's a certain level of, like, public consumption and comfort level. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think Todd's totally right about, you know, things being a little closer to 1971 in 2000 than they are to 2016 um, in in the way people could think about it and discuss it. Or even, or even, like, maturely digest. Yeah, <laughs> and, and discuss it yeah. and, and, you know, have a conversation. Well, it's like there's... It's totally... It's a different world. There's no way... I, I, I think you would have to be like really far removed from reality to think that we're over race in this country at this point. <laughs> like, I mean, uh, is it, is it Charlotte right now? This is burning, um, over race issues. And it seems like this is something that we still haven't really figured out as a society. Um, but I think that depending on who you are and where you live, that it can be easy to see a film about race and to think, oh, I'm so glad that we don't have to deal with that stuff anymore. And all weren't those people back then so bad because they really struggled with race. And, um, and I think maybe one of the reasons why this scene is, is put in this film is because, especially in the year 2000, it was a way of of making an audience realize, you know what, maybe you're not as totally over uh, prejudice uh, as you... And othering. And othering as you think you are. And, you know, it, it may have been... That may have been, been part of, of that thing, of the, of the reason behind that scene being in this film. And I think, I think it's really um, interesting. Yeah, the, but, but I also think, like you said, it, you'd have to be pretty <laughs> shielded or, or or wearing a lot of blinders to think that we're over 
the race, but I mean, all kinds of prejudice, like the, the public rhetoric has been pretty prejudicial, uh, in, as we're recording this in 2016 in regards yeah. to, uh, nationality, in, gar- in regards to race, religion, sexuality, uh, there's been a lot of prejudicial language that gets used openly in public and gets cheered, uh, in a lot of settings. In some ways, I wonder if if today, if, if society today is is perhaps more racially divided and less. Um, I mean, if there's more if there's more tension around racial issues than there are around issues of like gender and sexuality. I don't know that that may or may not be true, but it certainly seems like in the news today. There's a lot of stuff going on with race that even in the year 2000, I just don't remember that. D- do you? I don't remember it, but uh, I, it could absolutely have been my lack of engagement with the news <laughs> or, or with, with that aspect of the news. Well, like I, I remember I, Rodney I King. I remember the Rodney King thing being a big deal. I do remember that. But that I was a lot of race discussion around OJ Simpson. During yeah. his trial, and that would have been about about this time. Nah, that uh, would have been earlier know. in the nineties. But yeah, interesting. Well, on that oddly somber note, <laughs> to close <laughs> out a sports movie that's uplifting and makes you feel better about humanity. Just, just remember the message of it: <laughs> people are different, and that's awesome. Yes, yeah, that the equality is not sameness. I love, I love that, I, that aspect of the story here. Uh, any final thoughts for you, Todd? Final thoughts about Remember the Titans. It really is. It really is an inspiring film. I just, I love, I love. Uh, there's, I, I'm just a total sucker for stories about people who aren't getting along and who somehow find a way to get over themselves and to reach out and, um, you know, build trust and and relationships with other people. Uh, I'll. Uh, I can just watch the heck out of films like this. Uh, it's just awesome. I really love it. Uh, yeah. So listeners, uh, again, feel free to go and purchase a copy of this on protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon. If you're unfamiliar with remember the Titans, but uh, it's pretty easy to get your hands on this particular film. I think. Thank you for listening. That wraps up this episode and we invite you to please subscribe to the protagonist podcast in iTunes and leave us a review. It does help us out. As we noted earlier, if you're a new listener, uh, just wait and reminder, a hundred reviews, more podcasts from the Dorowski boys. (laughs) And we'll have Todd on, uh, I'm sure at some point, yeah, we just haven't recorded any with him yet. Uh, but, but if you are a new listener to the protagonist podcast, um, just note about our back catalog, we switched up our format a bit around episode 13. So our first dozen episodes are a bit meandering in terms of discussion and length. But if you liked this episode, uh, we would particularly point you towards episode 35, which is on the film Rudy or episode 66, which is on the film. Who Hoosiers. Oh, can you pronounce that film name? (laughs) Hoosiers. Thank you. Hoosiers. I just struggle with that film name. As if you go up and listen to episode 66, you will discover. Uh, links to the things that we've been talking about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com. And you can also find a list of all of our back catalog there. We would like to give a special thank you to Nick English for our new logo. And you can hear Nick over on the Fandom Podcast. Or you can see more of his art at nickenglishart.com. And that's spelled N-I-K, Nick, Nick English. Uh, you can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by 
emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. And we're all on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod, at Todd K. Mack, at Jay Dorowski, or producer Andrew is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. If you would like to support the show financially, you can do that in a few different ways. You could buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by clicking the support link on our homepage or going to patreon.com slash protagonist. And all supporters on Patreon receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films or talk about trailers for upcoming films. You can also go to protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon to make all of your Amazon purchases. And finally, do not forget to sign up for a 30 day free trial of audible.com by going to audibletrial.com slash protagonist. And at audible.com, you get access to hundreds of thousands, I think, at this point, of audiobooks. Thank you again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. So long. Then Ryan Reynolds runs onto the the field. Ryan Gosling, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Ryan Gosling. Uh... (laughs) 